Welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. I'm Federica Cherubini, Director of Leadership Development at the Institute. Joining us today is Nick Newman. People who follow this podcast or our work at the Reuters Institute would know who Nick is. Nick is a Senior Research Associate at the Reuters Institute, and he's also the author of our recent report, Journalism, Media and Technology Trends and Prediction 2024, which surveys over 300 newsroom leaders and editors in 56 countries around the world. This year's report covers a wide range of issues, including how newsrooms are planning to use generative AI, how they hope to re-engage audiences um, who are turning away from news, but also changes in news formats and prospects for um, the business of news in the year ahead. Thank you for joining us today, Nick. It's uh, great to be back, Federica, at the beginning of another uh, exciting and unpredictable year. Well, tell us about this year. Um, first, can you remind us um, what the um, yearly report looks at um, and how you went about it? Yeah, I mean, this report is forward-looking. Uh, it's about trends, and it's really trying to identify the key audience, business, and technology trends and sort of bring together what we know how it's likely, how all those things are likely to impact on journalism. So that is everything from, you know, rising news avoidance um, to advances in AI and how they're affecting content and the way it's produced, the way it's distributed. And um, this is really looking at analyzing our own data, uh, other people's research and data, and also talking to industry leaders. So you mentioned the survey we do with more than 300 editors, CEOs, heads of innovation, um, but we also talk to some of those in depth as well to find out what's what's on their mind. And what's the mood uh, for the newsroom leaders out there? I mean, it's it's mixed. I I would say you know the key key word is uncertain. Uh, less than half, so forty seven percent, said that they are confident about the year ahead, the prospects for journalism in the year ahead, and the and the rest have sort of various concerns ranging from. You know, declining advertising revenue, the fact that cookies are on their way out, which may make that worse, the business side. I mean, uh, declining news consumption, news avoidance, I've mentioned that already. And then, of course, in some parts of the world, it's much more about just survival, uh, you know, how you can be independent when there are increasing attacks on journalists, those may be physical, legal, or, or, or verbal. So sort of a huge range of, of different problems. It's hard to sort of have, have a single problem, but, but I think compared with a couple of years ago, people are much less confident because it's a very uncertain world on the business side and 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 on the um you know sort of just just how how politics is as well. If we look at some of these in into morbid and in depth of some of these issues, um so media leaders you surveyed say they are concerned about the level of audience referrals from social media platform. What are they worried about? Well, pretty much all the publishers we talked to said that they'd seen a really big decline in referrals and traffic from what we might call traditional social networks. So, you know, Facebook primarily, but also Twitter and others in the last year. And we saw some data from Chartbeat, which is a data analytics company, um, which showed 48% decline in referrals from Facebook alone and 27% from Twitter or X, as we must now call it. Uh, and that's based on around sort of 2,000 publishers in their network. So it's kind of aggregate data. So it'll be different for different publishers. 
And the reason for that is that Facebook have been pulling, quite aggressively pulling back from news, um, partly because they're trying to focus more on creators and content that is perhaps a bit more uplifting, you know, co connecting people to, to other people rather than uh, news, which can be depressing. Uh, and then, of course, you've had Twitter with all those sort of changes in policy and upheavals uh, in the Elon Musk era, and that has also had an effect on on you know how valuable the user base finds it for news, but also what publishers can do there. So about two-thirds of people in our survey of respondents said they were really worried about this, um, not, not just about what happened last year, but what might happen this year in terms of further declines. Um, and this move to essentially, you know, to, to engage people in social networks now, you have to create bespoke content, um, often video content that costs a lot more money in, in networks like TikTok and YouTube. Uh, and that matters because many publishers that have depended on this referral model to provide a big number for their ad business, or even if you're a subscription publisher, sort of top of the funnel uh, uh, interest for people who who you might then want to approach with a subscription offer. Um, so, you know, this 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 is really, you know, pretty existential. If it continues the way it does, then publishers need to find alternatives. And of course, as you said, those more traditional social media platform were also based on um, a link referral strategy and some of the new platform, uh, maybe less so. What are the publishers planning to do about um, in the landscape that you just described? Um, I, th I think the, um, the 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 overwhelming focus is on direct traffic. You know, can we build direct relationships? So if we can't rely on these platforms uh, to provide traffic, how do we build more loyalty? And seventy seven percent in the survey said that was what they were going to focus on this year. That's very easy to say, incredibly hard to do in uh, a world which is super competitive and where many people just prefer to get access via platforms because it's just so easy, so convenient. So um, the other thing that people are looking at is cutting costs um, and trying to sort of basically match your resources to the, the, the sort of reset traffic levels. And then others are looking at alternative channels. So we talked about some of those um, video-based channels, which are not about referral, but it's about creating video content in TikTok and and, and um and YouTube, and then uh, I guess the the one that's sort of right at the top of publishers' minds right now is WhatsApp, which traditionally has been really hard to do anything much with because it's all about organic discussion about news where it happens. But um, late last year, WhatsApp introduced these things called broadcast channels, and so did Instagram, actually. So you can now create effectively sort of broadcasts and you can take particular niches um, or verticals and start um, populating that within within WhatsApp. And we're seeing quite big numbers for some publishers. It's not going to rival Facebook, but I think it's uh, it could be quite significant. So broadly, a combination of these things, and particularly if you're trying to reach younger audiences, you're probably going to have direct and trying to use some of these new alternative platforms. When um, last year a report was published, um, ChatGPT had only been available to the public um, for a month or so. Now the idea of generative AI is not so novel anymore, um, indeed. Um, we talk a lot about it and news media, like other industries, are figuring out how they're going to actually use it. Um, in some cases with experimentation first, but also taking it beyond experimentation. 
Um, what have you seen um, by talking to newsroom leaders and, and from the survey about how our news organization already using AI and what they plan to do more um, in the year ahead? Well, I think the general consensus is that AI is going to be incredibly useful in helping journalists be more efficient and making those workflows around journalism much more efficient. So that's really the, the main focus. And by that, I mean, you know, translation of content, uh, transcription of interviews, copy editing, um, tagging of content. So it's, it's much easier to find for consumers. So a lot of this is... Um, going to be automated this year or AI assisted in some way, you know, sort of a touch of a button. And what we're seeing is um, is more sort of uh, AI tools that are being built into content management systems, for example, to facilitate some of those workflow improvements. And in our survey, about half said that this is going to be very important to them this year. So this is really the sort of the, the, the dominant uh, thinking amongst publishers. Beyond that, you have content creation, of course. So this is basically, you know, using AI to write stories or create summaries or generate pictures or even create videos. And of course, that is much more risky from a trust point of view, but could also save quite a lot of money. And and so we are seeing more real life examples of that as well. So for example, in Germany, you've got a, a publisher that is already has created an AI writer so stories that are actually written by ai and that's now accounting for about five percent of its entire publication schedule um and then there's even sort of tv stations being launched this year which are either completely generated by ai or partially generated by ai so so on the front end stuff we in the product this year we're going to see a lot more AI-generated content, synthetic content, mixed content, and I think that's going to raise a whole load of issues. You mentioned that some of these um, approaches, of course, carry more risk, um, especially in terms of the impact on the audience. Um, in a year where the political stakes are so high in many countries because of elections, are media leaders particularly worried about this potential risk involved using AI? Definitely, and and certainly around around the content creation, or some of the people we talked to were anyway. So, uh, over half, fifty six percent, so that that was the biggest risk. Followed by news gathering, and these are obviously both areas that involve the integrity of the content. So, fundamentally, deal with these issues of trust. Um, other issues such as back end automation, or you know, using AI for coding, making coding more efficient, or even you know, fact checking. These are considered to be much less. Um, controversial and so that's why we're really seeing the the effort in these back end things first how can we make efficiencies however having said that i think um i think we're going to see a split this year so i think reputable news organizations that you know really worry about the trust of their brands are going to really focus on uh on the back end automation they're not going to do so much on the product and that's partly because we've seen the impact on trust when um AI has been used, it's not been properly labeled, or there have been mistakes, it really affects the trust in the brand. On the other hand, I think you'll see a lot of sort of other media companies that don't have much to lose that are just basically looking for, uh, you know, to, to make their, to survive effectively, really embracing a lot of this AI because the cost savings can be very considerable. And I think that's going to raise, you know, the concern about that is that that will uh, reduce the trust in journalism as a whole. Uh, people won't necessarily make that distinction. So so I think it's going to be a really interesting year to see how publishers apply the AI. 
there are many things that I think as an industry we learn from the relationship with social media. Um, and specifically, we've seen in the past that the relationship with the social media platforms um, can be at times more difficult. Um, what are we seeing in the space of AI between the, in terms of like a relationship between news organization and um, AI companies at the moment? Uh, I mean, in many cases, the companies are the same. So if we're talking about Google, they're obviously new, and Microsoft are new players in, in terms of open AI. Um, but I, th I think the, the publishers are really concerned about AI and what it might do to um, to their business models, and particularly around around search. So we've already seen AI systems being in, uh, integrated into search engines like Bing, in terms of Microsoft Copilot. So you can ask it a question about the news, and it will surface the answer. It won't necessarily have a whole load of little links, and then you link to the link, and it goes to the website, which can be monetized. That the answer is just there, and there's less reason to click on. So that's the that's the kind of big fear. Um, and we know that news sites have been used to create the foundational models for these AI, and now that AI is competing with uh, with 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 the with the news sites itself. So this has led to um, media companies having a very robust discussion, shall we say, uh, and uh, in some cases, in the case of New York Times, suing OpenAI and suing Microsoft. Essentially, claiming that they've you know used the content to um, to train their models, and in some cases to reduce verbatim uh, sections of text within it. So that's what the legal case is about, and also that it's effectively competing uh, as a trusted news source. Uh, so we've got legal action going on on the one side, and then you've got a whole load of attempts to do deals and actually try and reset the terms of trade. So that you can get, um, you know, fair fair recompense for the work you put in, and so we've had big deals between Axel Springer and uh, AI companies, and also AP, and I think we're going to see a lot more deals this year. So um, I think the relationship is going to be uh, bumpy, and but it's also going to be different because licensing is definitely going to be part of that uh, discussion over the next year. Apart from being bumpy. Um... What's your prediction of how the full um, sort of like landscape is going to work out? I mean, I think in in our survey, um, the publishers we talked to were were not very hopeful that it was going to work out very well. So I think forty eight percent said that they didn't think that there would be much money for any publishers at the end of the day, uh, and thirty five percent felt that. If there was money, it would go to the big publishers like New York Times or Axel Springer that had enough heft to do sort of really big deals. So I think there's quite a lot of concern about that. I think it's really hard to know, and it's really hard to know how valuable the news content is going to be for consumers. So in some of the early research we've done, we've seen that news is not a particularly big use case, for example. So, I mean, just asking for simple facts or playing around with it or writing essays, you know, these are the kinds of things people are using. AI for rather than accessing news, people don't necessarily want more news. So the extent to which the business model is going to be undermined, we don't know. And also the threat of legal action, I think, is also stopping some of these bots showing some of that content. So, you know, uh, in the last few months, we've seen uh, some of some of that shut off because because some of the AI companies are worried about the potential implications of it. You know, an app like Artifact, for example, announced it was closing down, not particularly because of this, but in recent months, you've seen you've seen news content that it was 
previously summarizing and using some of these AI tools to create different kinds of transformations uh, just being blocked off because they've been concerned about what the implications might be. Of course. Um, for several years, you've um, also um, tracked how audiences are disengaging from news with the work you do also on Digital News Report. Um, you know, you've been talking about concepts like news avoidance or news fatigue. With wars, climate change, polarizing events like election um, likely to be no dominating the news agenda in 2024, um, stories that in one way attract maybe some of the loyal audiences, but also turn off some of those um, people that are less inclined to engage with news more frequently or actively um, avoid some some news some of the time. What are news organizations planning to do um, to deal with news avoidance specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think you've, you've set up the issue there. It's complicated because, you know, some things that um, turn people away like politics for other people that's what brings people to news sites so in some senses you know news publishers are hoping they're going to have a really bumpy year this year because of all the elections around the world uh, on the other hand I think the long-term trends as we've shown are that um, whole sections of people are accessing a lot less than they used to uh, um, many people hard to reach audiences are becoming disengaged in different countries you know a portion of those people are becoming disengaged and as well as sort of that's partly to do with people, societal issues and people becoming disengaged with a whole load of institutions, not just news. But I think it's also um, a mismatch in terms of the product, in terms of what newsrooms are producing and the formats they're producing and the tone and what journal and what audiences increasingly want in terms of, you know, accessible news uh, that fits in with their lives in different ways. And and that's that's really the challenge that publishers are trying to get their heads around. And I think we have seen uh, new types of uh, of journalism or new approaches such as explanatory journalism. We've talked about that for a number of years. And in the survey, that's what came out on top is publishers said, we're going to invest more in that, just explaining the news better, 67%, uh, followed by um, what's constructive or solutions journalism. So not just pointing out the problems, but actually offering people a sense of hope or agency, inspiring stories, you know, the, these kinds of approaches, uh, particularly around something like climate change, for example, I think in the, in the report we talked about um, Bloomberg's just launched a solutions podcast, but I mean, there's so many different examples of this around the world now and, and a lot of investment in it. Um, and then a little bit less interest in just creating more positive news, that seems to be a loaded term, which many journalists don't like, or or dumbing down and making the news more fun and entertaining. But I think a, a range of all of these kind of approaches uh, are needed. And then finally, you know, just just better diversity in terms of the people you have in the newsroom so that you're not just serving up, you know, the same old stories for the same old people, but you really are bringing in diverse set of and broader set of perspectives too. Um, a bit of a provocative question, and maybe I'm, I'm mixing apple and oranges, but... We know from the digital news report um, that audiences um, still prefer text um, over video in in some in some contexts. Although younger audiences prefer more video, but then this year you ask publishers what they are planning to focus more their attention on, and it seems that they say they will produce less article and and more videos. Is it because they're catching up, or are you seeing something different in 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 this? It's it's kind of 
bewildering, isn't it? Basically, you know, we're all overloaded. And when you ask publishers what they're planning to do, they're going to produce more video, more podcasts, more newsletters, and very few of them say they're going to produce fewer articles. So essentially, we're just going to throw more stuff at you. And and I think, you know, that's not really what audiences want. They want they want smarter media. They want more relevant media. And I think that is the challenge. You know, for the last few years, we've just been producing more media and that just reduces the value of the media that seems to be out there from from an audience perspective quite often. So I think um, you know that's not to say that the individual initiatives and the individual podcasts or newsletters aren't valuable. Many of them are, and that's why they're doing them. But much of it's to do with the incentives. I mean, essentially, platforms and algorithms need more content, and it needs regular content. It's not necessarily what audiences need. And again, it goes back to this mismatch um, in, in terms of what we're providing and what people really want. We talk a lot about um, these fundamental shifts in how news organizations are producing and distributing news and engaging with audiences. What shifts are you seeing in terms of raising revenue? Um, what will publisher focus on? Well, I, I think because of you know the problems of you know the end of mass referral and um, the, the the problems with with, with volume, uh, and we've obviously seen what's happened to BuzzFeed News and others. I mean the the real shift is that many publishers are more, more publishers are basically going to try and get people to pay directly, getting readers uh, or consumers to pay directly, and we've seen that for a number of years. Um, mixed with other models that they're trying to develop, whether that's e-commerce licensing from the AI platforms, of course we've talked about that already. But essentially, ads are going to get less important. And one sign of that is the Daily Mail, the Mail Online, one of the biggest online reach-based. Um, websites in the world has this month started a premium um, paid subscription as well. And and that's just a trend we're going to see more and more of. But again, more publishers chasing the same number of people or a small number of people who are prepared to pay, it's going to be really, really tough. But yes, yeah, so, so one thing is, is paid. And then I think within that, what we're going to see this year is, um, is the growth of the bundle. So what many publishers have found that just you know a news product alone is not enough to keep people a lot of people say that they're going to unsubscribe or they're not sure so there's a huge amount of churn currently so how can you get people to lock in more easily so you've seen the new york times bundling in games and product reviews and sport into a package a bundle and those bundled subscribers are much more likely to retain and monetize better over time uh, we see many different kinds of bundling emerging now. So in Nordic countries, it's much more about you know magazines, local, national, podcasts as a bundle between a number of titles, whereas the New York Times is kind of within one title. And I think this year we may also see bundling across titles. And then the other big trend I think in paid is more sort of lower price news products that don't necessarily take so much time. So that may be a podcast, it may be a you know a newsletter. And a lot of publishers are launching those sort of low-cost subscription products uh, in the hope of enticing next-generation subscribers for less money. Absolutely. I might or might not um, just subscribe to one of those um, newsletter courses. Of course, the and, well, Institute podcast will remain free. Of course. Um, let's talk about one of uh, a topic that I know um, you really care about, which is news devices and interfaces. Um, VR headsets, smart glasses, many of these devices didn't really take off in the past as some of the hype around them would have suggested in terms of consumer adoption. 
what do you think about the rabbit companion as is been defined as the computer you can talk to and will do things for you or the humane's new AI label pin? Will they have more luck? Right. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is we're starting to see new devices that uh, they often they're termed smartphone killers, but they're not really um, because the smartphone, of course, is going to endure. But the, the whole idea is that we are really struggling with, um, you know, the smartphone was designed as this thing that was going to be intuitive and was going to solve all the problems and bring everything together in one device. The reality is we have multiple passwords. We can't remember which who's messaged us in which, which application. It seems to be getting more and more complicated. And we spend all our lives looking at this, this screen and endlessly scrolling, doom scrolling. So part of the reason we're seeing all this activity is partly AI, but it's also how can you solve that problem and make get the technology out of the way? And that's what the Rabbit R1 is about. It's what the Humane Pin is about. It's, uh, you know, can you find new ways to more intuitively access information? And most of these are using essentially natural language. So you essentially you talk to it uh, and then they have a screen or they don't have a screen. Um, now, I think this is people that really want another device. So I think it's very likely the Rabbit R1 and the Humane Pin will probably uh, fail. But I think that idea over time, uh, we we do want, there is a problem there to be solved. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that works. And we shouldn't forget, by the way, in, in our survey, people felt that the thing we should really watch is is some of these sort of hearable devices because we already have you know, headphones, we already have smart speakers in our homes that are going to be revolutionized by AI and become much more useful over the next few years. So I think that talking to a computer when it's appropriate, getting direct responses without having to go through a whole load of passwords is going to be a huge part of the future. It's not going to replace the computer. It's not going to replace the smartphone. Uh, and I think that's what's felt by our respondents as well. But I think it does push more in the direction of audio um, uh, as becoming, you know, more important both as an input and as an output uh, over the next five years or so. I wanted to end um, with uh, a bit of like a, a a more a more personal question in terms of um, what have you found surprising in this year's findings? Of course, you spend several years doing this report, and so you spend a lot of your time talking to news leaders. So you're often ahead of these trends. What surprised you? I guess I guess the big. I mean, it, there's lots of little things, but I think you know I have to really talk about the AI because it is it is amazing when you use some of these cutting edge tools to see how far and fast some of the technology has moved in six months, in nine months. This is quite rare, you know, to see such big improvements. For example, you know, um, something like Mid Journey and the 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 quality of the images it was putting out uh, a year ago. And the sort of images we see today, which are photorealistic, which is very hard to tell the difference between something that's just been created by a prompt and 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 is actually um, you know real a real photograph. And I think that you know that obviously raises huge issues. But from a technological point of view, that is that's absolutely fascinating. And I think the other thing is just the speed with which the industry is trying to adapt to AI and find different ways of of using these technologies. And that surprised me because I thought it, they would be in a way more cautious. We've talked about the caution, but I think we're genuinely seeing now uh, in the product examples of AI-generated content. And I think over next year, we're going to see a lot more of that. Lots of uncertainty, um, but I think this is this is kind of going to be the year when 
when the template gets set for you know what consumer expectations are for um for how it affects trust for how the business models change so i think it's a really really important year to to help sort of define how journalism and ai are going to sit together and 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 work effectively together what a fantastic way to end um the podcast thank you so much nick for joining us today thanks federica our guest today was nick newman Senior Research Associate at the Reuters Institute and author of our Ely Trends and Prediction Report, which you can read on our website in full and, and in PDF. Make sure to follow our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Reuters Institute, um, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link uh, on our Twitter, well, X, bio, or on our homepage. Thank you for listening to Future of Journalism. I'm Federica Carubini and we'll be back soon.